As you're seated, let me invite you to open a Bible with me, if you will, to the book of Psalms in the heart of your Bible. On our way to our key text in the Psalms, if you would stop with me briefly in Psalm 46. Psalm 46, where we will read together in just a few moments. While you're turning back there, let me echo the welcome. It is good for me to be here. And I trust that it has already been good for you to be here. In the midst of what has been a a chaotic week around the world, what better way to shine the light? What better way to share the light, to proclaim the light and to remind ourselves what a blessing it is to step fully with confidence into the light than doing what we have already done together. Thank you for being here this morning. Psalm 46 verses 9 and 10 have been on my mind the last couple of days. I'll back up to verse 8 of Psalm 46 where the psalmist invites Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And then He speaks in verse 10. Be still and know that I am. Am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And so we have gathered together this morning and anticipate gathering throughout the day to praise the one who breaks the bow. To exalt the one and and to cry out to the one who shatters the spear. This world is out of my control and it is out of your control. But it is not out of control. And we remind ourselves using passages like verse 10. Who we know. And what we know, and what He is calling us to do in this world. With that in mind, would you open with me just a few pages before this to Psalm 14. I missed being with you this past weekend. I had the privilege of of preaching down outside of Birmingham, Alabama. A little over a week ago, I was on one of these scheduled flights where in order to get from here to Alabama, I had to be flown to Philadelphia. I trust that that makes sense to someone. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But on my way from Philadelphia to Birmingham, the best part was flying over the Appalachian Mountains. I've spent a lot of time in those mountains. I've hiked through those mountains. I've spent the night in various places around those mountains, but you get a completely different view, obviously, when you fly over them. 
you see things that you simply cannot see. When you are down in the valley, or even standing on some of those tallest mountains. And our interaction with the Bible sometimes is like that. There are times where in a sermon or a Bible class or our own reading and devotions that we'll look just at a single mountain. Maybe we zero in and we look at a single path on that single mountain or we zoom in a little more and we look at a a particular tree on that mountain or we zoom in a little more and we just focus on the roots of that tree and all all of those things are valuable that's one of the wondrous things about approaching God's revelation to us But in the midst of what has been an unsettling and discouraging and and frightful week around this world, what has helped me more than anything is to notice the range of mountains that has been a part of our daily Bible reading. This past Sunday... We were in Psalm 14, and that's where we're going to begin in just a few moments. This past Wednesday, we were in Psalm 15. This morning, Brent got our our hearts and our minds prepared to worship using Psalm 16. And if the Lord wills, this coming Wednesday, we're scheduled to reflect on Psalm 17. And the more that I looked at that, the more it seemed to me that Focusing on this range of mountains. I I don't know how better to center our hearts and our minds on this Lord's Day than that. Psalm 14, if it had a name, if this mountain was given a name like we treat physical mountains in the world around us, I would suggest to you we could call it Mount Foolishness. And we don't have the time to read all four of these Psalms of David. If you haven't, I would certainly encourage you to do that later on today even. But the very first verse of Psalm 14 gives us a sense of Why the name? Because in Psalm 14 and verse 1, we read, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. We see people around us in God's world where He has called us to be still and remember who the one and only God is, we see people waste their God-given breath and squander their God-given time acting as if the one who gave them those things isn't even there. And it leads in terrible directions. I want you to come face to face this morning with the fact God tells us what sort of world 
this is. And he has told us from page one of the Bible why we live in this sort of world. Why humanity, decades after tanks rolled across Europe and disrupted the entire world around us, why, why we haven't learned the lessons of history, why we see brokenness all around us in this world. Because when we act as if there is no God, what begins to be born in our lives is all sorts of corruption and abominable deeds. He continues in verse 1, they are corrupt. They do the sort of things that God hates. Abominable. We read in Proverbs chapter 6, for instance, that there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are abominable to Him. And they're listed as haughty eyes. There is no God. There's no one higher than me. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run towards evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. God has not given us a revelation acting as if everything is okay in the world when clearly everything is not okay in the world. But what he has done is given the diagnosis, taken us all the way to the very roots of the problems. Why it is that at times we look across the scope of humanity and it seems as if none does good. In fact, in verse 2, the Lord is pictured as looking down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all, verse 3, turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And so in verse 5, we read about great terror among human beings. In verse 6, we read about the strong shaming the plans of the poor. In fact, within this psalm, we read about the powerful eating others as they eat bread. You are only here for my consumption. You only exist for what I can get out of you. Verse 4, have they no knowledge? That every single human being is created in God's image. That he zealously yearns after each and every spirit he has made to dwell in God-given bodies. Evil doers. Evil exists in this world. And we don't have to lean on the New York Times or the London Gazette or CNN or Fox News to define for us what evil is. Let's make sure that we allow 
submit ourselves to our Creator to define what evil is. And He has abundantly done so. When people eat others as they eat bread. Psalm 14 is a huge mountain that we could label Mount Foolishness. And I would suggest to you there are all sorts of people you will interact with this week. You go to school with them. You work with them. They live in neighboring houses who all that they are able to see this morning is Mount Foolishness. They woke up this morning and their attention is on Mount Foolishness. They will camp their attention this morning on Mount Foolishness. The shadows of Mount Foolishness will be dark over their lives all week long. And we bring that up not so that we can sit up on a higher mountain and look down on those poor people, but to remind ourselves where the light is. That we have found the light. That we are called to walk in the light and reflect the light because before Psalm 14 ends, we are reminded. Regardless of what the fool may say, I am is. And praise Him this morning that He has not simply drawn our attention to Mount Foolishness and bid us good luck. He has shown us why there are shadows in this world and drawn our attention to another mountain. We could call it, using Psalm 15, Mount Steadfast. And as we hear the diagnosis in Psalm 14, we realize, well, I haven't always done what is right. I haven't always walked in the way that is good. And so maybe that's out there, but I'm not sure I, I even qualify. Maybe I belong over here on Mount Foolishness. Psalm 15 begins with, who, who is able to sojourn in God's tent? Who can dwell on His hill of holiness? And what He draws our attention to is, not our perfection, but our willingness to submit. Where the fool says, there is no God... The path to steadfastness is to recognize there is a God and I'm not Him. And I've spent enough of my time, I've wasted enough of my life, I've devastated enough relationships over here on Mount Foolishness. No more. I want the way that is blameless. I want the way that is Right, I want to allow truth to begin to reign in my heart. Let's not be surprised when fools don't tell us the truth. But let's not allow the fools to have so much of our attention that we forget to listen to the one who is true. 
He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. We heard the, the foolishness of Psalm 14. Look at the contrast in Psalm 15. This sword of man, this sword of woman, doesn't slander with his tongue. She, she doesn't do evil to her neighbor. He doesn't take up a reproach against his friend. In her eyes, a vile person is despised. That's, that's not the way I want to go. I've spent enough time on Mount Foolishness. I want to honor the Lord. And I want to honor those who fear the Lord. In fact, I'm willing to put those created in His image before myself. So I'm not going to take advantage of the people around me. I'm certainly not going to take a bribe against the, the innocent. And what I find when I'm willing to submit myself to this Creator, I can't keep the fool from acting or saying that there is no God. And Mount Foolishness is going to cast its shadows for a little while longer. But I have found Mount Steadfast. And as long as I stay there, latter part of verse 5, I will never be moved. Who knows what this week holds? But here's what we do know. When nothing else is stable, God is. When everything seems out of control, God is. And it's humbling and it's scary and it's unsettling to be reminded that this world is not under our control. That doesn't mean it's out of control. Which leads us to Psalm 16. I hope that before you came here, you read Psalm 16. I hope that's the sort of rhythm we are slowly building into our lives. And if you haven't, could I really encourage you next Lord's Day to read Psalm 18 before you come here. Don't wait until you sit down in the pew to begin to get your mind settled and focused on what's about to happen. Because the beauty of Psalm 16 is God hasn't just given us a place to live and say, okay, stay right here. Hold on, white knuckle it. It's all one way or another, hopefully going to work out in the end. It is not that we have been given a dry and a dusty, outdated sort of place to just gut our way through the rest of our lives. No. The blessing of steadfastness opens the door to the experience fullness this is the good life I'm reminded on Psalm 16 that I'm not alone 
We hear David in verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. But you hear what he's saying. I am yours and you are mine. I so appreciated how how Brent reminded us that one of his great blessings, one of the ways that he shapes our lives and brings the fullness of life in Christ into our lives is each other. We are not alone this morning. There are people camped on Mount Foolishness And in every sense of the word, they are alone. May we have eyes to see them this week. May we have hearts that are eager to share the fullness of Psalm 16. You don't have to walk through this scary world alone. There are saints in the land. There are saints in every land this morning. There are saints in Ukraine. There are saints in Russia. There are saints in China. There are saints all over this world. They are the excellent ones. And David says, that's what's really delightful. That's what reminds me what the good life isn't. It's not just that God makes the sun to rise and he he gives us a revelation, but he uses us to remind ourselves. May we be reminded this morning what the good life isn't. Let's not go digging in that sand this week. Because the sorrows of those who run after another God are only going to multiply. Their drink offerings of blood, David says, I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. And I can't keep them from doing what they're doing. If they're determined to live on Mount Foolishness, I can't drag them off of it. But I can set the Lord always before me. The Lord is my chosen cup, verse 5, my portion. You hold my lot. Verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. If you remember one verse from our time together this morning, I hope it's that one. Set the Lord always before you this week. Not just as some steadfast but outdated, ancient, distant being that I guess I ought to somehow pay attention to one way or another before time on on earth eventually expires for me. No. Listen. Just listen 
to the way he is described. Look with me in your Bible at Psalm 16, verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. When I'm overwhelmed by what is happening in this world, I remember the one who upholds all things by the very word of his power. When I feel ignorant or inadequate at a loss as to what to do or what to say or even what to think, I said before myself, David is showing us the one who knows, the one who guides, the one who is subjecting all things to himself. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In a world so incredibly burdened by death and sorrow and violence. Look at what remains. On which mountain will you camp this week? What mountain will you talk about this week? What news will occupy your mind this week? Mount foolishness is there. Nobody's denying it. Least of all our Creator. But we don't have to camp there. We certainly don't have to live there. There is another mountain that stretches even beyond death. 3,000 years ago, David writes, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. But how in the world could that possibly be true? I'd encourage you for just another minute or two to tuck that in the back of your mind as we end with what we could call Mount Prayer. And I believe this is a really important, for one, uh, important one for us to, to consider this morning. Because there have been far too many Lord's Days. Where I don't know about you, but I do know about me. I've, I've pointed out Mount Foolishness. Don't live there. And I've, I have... Focused on Mount Steadfastness, what an amazing thing it is to be able to say God is my rock and my redeemer, my refuge. And even to point out, well this is where the good life is. Psalm 60, this is the path of, of life. And then I've left here and I haven't spent the time that I could on Mount Prayer. And so could I challenge you this morning, just as surely as I challenge myself, 
Let's rejoice in Mount Fullness. Let, let's, let's bask in that God-given light. But may we not leave here neglecting to pray to the God who breaks the bow and shatters the spear and doesn't just tell us on Sunday mornings, be still for about an hour and remember that I'm God. And then go do your thing. No, Psalm 17 that Lord willing we will read this coming Wednesday evening is all about here. Hear, O Lord, attend to my cry, give ear to my prayer, let your eyes Behold the right from your presence. Let vindication come. David prays, keep me. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. There are wicked, violent, deadly enemies. God, would, would you deliver? And God, for a little while, it sure does seem like the men of this world have it good. Verse 13 of Psalm 17, Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world. They don't have their minds set on heavenly things. They're not submitting themselves to God. And for a little while, their portion, well, if they can take it, they're going to enjoy it. Their portion is this life. And at times, God, it seems like you're filling the womb with treasure. They're satisfied with children. They leave their abundance to their infants. God, for a little while, it sure does seem like wickedness pays. And the powerful reign. Do whatever they want to do. But in prayer, I'm refocused. Psalm 17, verse 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Before we're done, would you open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 13? You hear what David is saying at the end of Psalm 17? They are the words that we sang together just a little while ago. Sometimes our, our journeys on this earth are really hard. But taking in the, the full mountain range of Psalm 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 enables us to sing together. May this journey bring a blessing. May I rise on wings of faith. And at the end of my heart's testing with your likeness, let me wait. That's Psalm 17.
Acts chapter 13 is so very valuable because it comes a thousand years after David wrote those words. And Paul and Barnabas, they're, they're, they're seeking to call people out of the shadows of, of Mount Foolishness. They're in Antioch in thoroughly pagan territory. And, and there is a great deal of darkness in the hearts and the minds of these people. But what... Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13 do is begin telling them the story of Jesus. And they readily admit, for instance, in verse 29, that Jesus was found guilty, worthy of death. And so they asked a really powerful Roman to have him executed. And when they would carried out all that was written of him, they took him down. He died. They laid him in a tomb. So why in the world do you need to hear hundreds of miles away from where somebody was executed by a bunch of Romans on a cross? Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. What sort of things had had God promised? Psalm 2, for instance. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. It's Isaiah 55. Where we focused on the service of God's servant that can change our lives. Therefore, verse 35, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. You remember that verse I asked you just to tuck in the back of your mind? David wrote that. David wrote that a thousand years before these people are are, are sharing this news. And, And Paul says in verse 36, listen, David... After he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers, and he saw corruption. So how is Psalm 16 still true? He whom God raised did not see corruption. There was somebody who fulfilled Psalm 16 verse 10. And it wasn't David. But it was David's greatest heir. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. And so we're going to stand in just a moment and and we're going to sing a song about God's seeking the lost. And as we sing those words, I I want you to really turn over in your mind what we've just read from Acts 13. From this mountain range, 
through this man. Forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed. You don't know what I've done. From this mountain range, through this man, by him, everyone can be free. Everyone, everyone. But what about, no, listen. Listen what's coming from this mountain range. Everyone can be freed from everything. Every sin. Every secret that's been successfully kept in the shadows. But dishonors the God who sees. As we stand and we sing this invitation song, we acknowledge this morning that we live in a world where men and women have attached great to themselves. And so in history we talk about Alexander the Great and Charles the Great and Napoleon the Great and Catherine the Great. What we're doing this morning is not just recommending another great among other self-proclaimed greats. We're proclaiming the one, the only. He has no peers. He is not intimidated. He is the King of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He alone has an empty grave. Through Him alone, forgiveness of sins is available. By Him alone, everything can be forgiven. And if you need to submit yourself to Him this morning and we can be of any help, Would you let us know how by coming to the front of this room while we stand and sing to encourage you?